relationship with one another. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The one another's, the one another's of the New Testament. We find it 81 times, and it's a, a real fascinating study on how we're to interact with each other, how we're supposed to treat each other. You look at the person next to you, in front of you, behind you. This is kind of how we relate. You know, a, a lot of different teachings and topics about the one another's of the Bible, but we're going to see today by far the most important one that really encapsulates all the others is that we are called to love one another. We're called to love one another. You know, and I know that can be tough, huh? You look at the person, maybe not the one right next to you, but over there, <laughs> and you're thinking of that one. I mean, is there anyone in your life that's tough to love? It kind of gives tough love a new meaning, huh? <laughs> you know, and we're going to experience that in the church. I'm sure you've heard that poem, To live above with saints we love, Oh, twill be such glory, But to live below with saints we know, Now that's a different story, huh? <laughs> but if we don't love each other, Then something is really, really radically wrong. You know, I always tell people, it's kind of like Noah's Ark, you know. I mean, God called them together into the ark because they were being saved from the judgment outside. That's us. But it didn't smell good in the ark. Imagine all those animals. <laughs> but they were, and that's kind of how it is with the church, you guys. Uh, we have to see each other with eyes of grace. Um, you know, when it comes to the church, I always tell you that this is a, a, a hospital for sinners. It's not a museum for saints. Just think what would happen to that one who's hard to love if you really loved them. You see, this is what we have to do. This is the church life with one another. And so we're going to talk about this. On our way to John 15, I want to give you guys a couple of uh, one another's that I thought were kind of funny. Because, you know, you can go through the Bible and some of you guys have those computer programs. Just type in the words one another and you'll see all of them. And it's pretty cool. You know, I read one in Luke chapter 12. It says in the meantime, uh, Luke 12, 1. And you can write these verses down. Maybe you can read them later. But it says, in the meantime, innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. And I thought, that's interesting. Here's a whole bunch of church people. They're going to hear the word of God, and they trampled one another. Okay, don't do that. That's one thing that we know in the Bible. You know, you know what it reminded me of, to be honest with you? It reminded me of the Harvest Crusades. I don't know if you guys have ever been to the Harvest Crusades, but sometimes, uh, in times past anyways, where, you know, we're, we're standing in the long line and we want to get, like, the good seats in the shade. And so, you know, we're all right there like horses. We're ready to, those gates to open, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, when the gates open, we're like, boom, and we're off. And seriously, I was thinking, this is an applicable verse, man. Don't trample, you know, one another. I thought that was kind of, Funny, I thought it was applicable. Here's something else that's very practical. Uh, over and over again, something we read in the Bible, greet one another. You guys have read that, right? Romans 16, 16. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. He says, the churches of Christ greet you. 
1 Corinthians 16.20, all the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13.12, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Peter 5.14, greet one another with a kiss of love. And, and you know, we don't necessarily, unless we're kind of like boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife, maybe kiss each other. Back then they did, you know, a little peck on the, on the cheeks, you know how the uh, Middle East is, right? You know, for us, the mode of salutation today is more along the lines of a, of a nice handshake or how about a nice hug. And I'll tell you what, I, th- I like that. I-, I think it's cool for me to share that with you guys. We should greet one another, man. I mean, there's someone sitting there, you're walking up, you know, you see them. I mean, big smile on your face, a nice firm handshake, you know, you look at, squeeze, look him in the eye or, or a hug. You know, and I know we try to be real holy with these things, and we're like, you know, how you doing? A nice soft hug, and you know, that's how we perceive holiness, right? A holy hug is like a, like a half a hug. I don't know. You know what? That's between you and the Lord, and the Lord knows your heart. But um, I just think when He says holy kiss, a holy hug, a holy handshake, you know, to me, it's just sincere. It's just deep. It's just loving. No matter who you are, I maybe never met you before, you're here, and I'm going to say hi. And I'm going to, you know, shake your hand, and I'm going to hug you. There's a lot of people, they'll come to church service, they'll sit down, they'll hear the study, the music, they leave, and no one ever approaches them. No one says hi to them, you know, because our usual tendency is to be, you know, more, more inclined towards those we know. My, my encouragement to you is to get to know new people. And so, um, number one, don't trample one another. <laughs> number two, do greet one another. Wouldn't that be cool if we did that, man, from our heart? You know, and, and those things, and, and really all the other things we're going to be talking about today are all part of that primary principle when it comes to treating one another in the church uh, is, is to love one another, right? We see those words 12 times side by side in the Bible to love one another. In one sense, it's a, it's a simple commandment. So we see, first of all, the simplicity of it. Look at John 15 and, and notice what Jesus said in verse 17. These things I command you that you should, that you love one another. It's a command from Christ. Very simple. John relayed the message repeatedly later in his epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the Name of his son, Jesus Christ, that's pretty big. How many of you think that's big to believe on Jesus? That's huge. And he says, and love one another as he gave commandment. Second John, verse 5, now I, I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. You know, when I read it, and I know you guys know it, it's very simple, straightforward, uh, probably even something you already knew before you came here today, huh? I mean, you're like, Manny, that's not new. I know it's not new, but it's true. And I know this, that we need to be 
reminded of these things. And I know that our love needs to grow and it needs to get deeper and stronger. I know that for a fact. You know, it's, it's, it's something that we already know. Interesting, Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. I mean, it's interesting. I don't even think we need to read it in a book or learn it in a letter. Paul said, I don't need to write to you about this. You already know, don't you, that it's in your heart that God has told you, if you're listening, we know that we should love one another. And so, first point is it's a very simple command. But, but don't let that confuse you because it's not a simple love that's for sure we see first of all the simplicity of it but then we see secondly the nature of it and i think a lot of you here know because we've been learning greek in this series on the church huh you guys are learning greek right you remember the the greek word for church ecclesia right on for those of you who are spanish speaking iglesia it's kind of cool the similarity and then you remember the greek word for fellowship Kononia, man, I'm so proud of you. And then we know now the, the Greek word, the Christian Greek word for love, agape. If you didn't know it, now you know it. It's, it's agape love, and it's such a powerful love. You know, one of the things that you got to know is that when God wrote the Bible, he wrote it in Greek. It's a Koine Greek and he did that with a, for the specific purpose because the Greek language is able to be so much more precise in the words that it uses, in the grammar that it has. And so, you know, when it comes to love, there are five different Greek words for love, but the love for the Christian primarily is agape love. And you may be wondering, well, what is agape love? What exactly is it? Well, probably the best way to put it is it's the love of God. It's a, a divine love. In, in a nutshell, what we are commanded to do is no small task. What we are called to do is to love as God loves. Now, if you go back to John 13, if you would look at John 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you. This is new that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. You know, if you go to John 15, if you would, looking back in John 15 in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And this is the agape love. You know, in the Greek language, there's the, the word eros, and that's a, more of a romantic love. Okay, um, and that's a good thing uh, to have between husband and wife, and you know, it's it's great. You guys don't lose the eros, don't lose the romantic love. And then there's uh, also the Greek word uh, storge, and and storge is more the family love. You know, and there's something tender there that that's beautiful. And then there's the Greek word phileo. It's more of a a brotherly love, uh, or tight friends. But then there's this word agape. And a lot of times I think that we really don't love the way that we should. 
You know, I think that because of the fact that love for us in the English language is used uh, so flippantly that it has, doesn't hit us as hard, huh? I mean, sometimes, you know, I think we love people like we love pizza. How many of you here love pizza? Come on, be honest. <laughs> you know, and so I love pizza. I love people. I love pizza more than people sometimes. <laughs> depending on where it is, you know. I love you. I love, you know, chocolate. You know, I mean, you name it. I mean, it's just for, for whatever reason, it's kind of lost the, the impact that it's supposed to have when we say we love other people. You know, John 13, 35 is an interesting verse. Back in, in, in that passage, I almost read it, but notice what it says. He says, Jesus said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You'll know that it, you're, you know, Jesus' disciples if we have love for one another. And this is interesting. This is so fascinating. In, in giving this command, Jesus did something the world had never seen before. He created a group identified by one thing. Love. And that's amazing when you think about it. I mean, there are many groups in the world and they identify themselves in a number of ways. It could be their attire, shared interests, uh, perhaps the alma maters, and we know the ways people categorize themselves really are endless, but the church is unique for the first and only time in the history of the world a group was created whose identifying factor is love. You know, it's interesting when you read, you know, the history of the early church and the way they loved each other. You know, there's one man by the name of Lucian. He wasn't a Christian, but he wrote in AD 120. And upon observing the warm fellowship of Christians, here's a non-Christian perspective. He said, it is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their needs. He said, they spare nothing. Their first legislator named Jesus has put it into their heads that they are brethren. And then here's a guy watching the group. I mean, and he said, I, one thing I see about them is, man, how they love each other. Ask yourself, is that the way the world sees us? And if not, what are we going to do about it? You know, it's not just that type of love that would be weak or feeble. It's a, it's a fervent love. It really is. Turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Some of you ladies are studying this. Such a great letter. In 1 Peter 1, it says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. And really what he's saying there is, since you're now Christians, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. 
You know, we, we know the simplicity of love, but now we've got to know the, the nature of love. It, it's not just a I love pizza kind of love. It's an agape love. It's a, it's a love that we love one another fervently. This word right here, it means earnestly, with intensity. It's a verb that means to stretch out the hand, and thus it means to be stretched. You know, if you go to chapter 4 of this same letter, notice what it says in verse 8. This is interesting because, again, we're talking about like the greatest commands. He says in 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. You see, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just like a, you know, a, a normal love, you guys. It's a fervent love. I would describe it as a fiery love. You know, I remember reading about Amy Carmichael, uh, that missionary to India who went and was called there to rescue the children who were used as sex slaves in the temples. You know, a, a gal who was so practical in her love that, that she was there for over 50 years without a furlough. You know, she worked hard. I, I remember reading one story about her when, you know, she was, uh, you know, called to, to serve and she asked one of the fellow workers there if they could carry a, a bucket, you know, of water and, you know, they're moving in a certain direction and, and for whatever reason, the fellow servant said, I'd rather carry my Bible. And so she said, well, then go away, you know, because our love is a practical love. I mean, yeah, we need our Bible, but don't you know that it's got to go beyond that? You know, when there's a real love, it's visible, it's active, it's fiery, it's fervent. She said this, if my interest in others is cool, then I know nothing of Calvary love. And I tell you what, that's another way of describing the nature of this love. It's an agape love, it's a fervent love, it's a Calvary love. And it's not just cool with other people. Yeah, hey, how you doing? You know, ain't no thing. I mean, no, I, you know, you're loving people. You know, she said, if souls can suffer alongside and I do nothing about it, then I know nothing of Calvary love. You know, her motto was, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You see, and that's the heart that we have to have. Really, Amy Carmichael She's just a beautiful person. I encourage you to read about her. Not a perfect person, but just so amazing. That was her calling. That was her calling to love God, to love these children in India. And she had gone to Japan. She had gone to China. But God eventually brought her to, to India for all that time. And she loved with that agape love, with that fervent love, with that fiery love. So now my question for you is, where are you called to love? And what are you called to give? Imagine if all of us understood that we all have that place. She really is a living example of John 15, verse 13. The Bible says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so maybe, you know, you won't be called to a martyr's death. Maybe you'll be called to a martyr's life. Maybe you won't be nailed to a cross. 
But eventually you come to the, the crossroads of your life of whether or not you're going to die to your own will and your own agenda. Because I tell you what, that's what love is. Amy Carmichael went on to say, forgetting oneself is not the refinement of love. It's the essence of love. Galatians 5.13, it talks about how when we love, we serve others. It says, for you, brethren, I've been called deliberately. Only do not use your liberty as opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. You know, we've, we, we're blessed, you guys. You can do whatever you want, huh? You can go home, have some hot Cheetos, whatever, just on the television you can just sleep all day and i mean this is okay every once in a while we got to do that but you know i mean what do we do with our liberty what do we do with our freedom do we do do we just live our life to serve ourselves? i mean just be careful with that you know we we should with that freedom serve one another that's what we should be doing with our freedom you know it was just so cool the last minute last minute funeral on friday you know i met with this family and it's just a tough 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 situation but we met i don't know if it was tuesday or wednesday regarding friday and uh and so last minute you know we're gonna have the funeral here and, and I just said, you know what, if we could, maybe we can make some meals for you. There's a helps ministry here in the church. I don't know for sure, but, you know, you guys open and give them a call and, and see if they bring some meals. And I, yeah, they said, okay. I wasn't really expecting much. I let Maria know and Jesse, they oversee the house ministry. Next thing you know, I mean, gosh, just a ton of beautiful people you know, last-minute notice, willing to make the food so that, so that on Friday after the service, there was so much food there. And, you know, and I wasn't tasting, you know, the enchiladas. <laughs> I was tasting the love. That they were being loved through you. I tell you what, that's the way it works. You know, this is so interesting. I mean, the big things. I mean, the little things. I'll tell you what. Today, when I was out in my garage, just kind of spending time with the Lord and studying, my wife came out and she brought me a devotional. She said, here, you know, you know read this, because she's reading a really good devotional, and there's a lot of good ones. And so, you know, I read it, and I thought it was good, but you know what caught my eye more than even the devotional was this uh, little uh, bookmark. And I know it's girly, but, you know... Um, <laughs> And part of the reason it caught my eye because someone gave it to her. Someone made it for her. And in the back right here, it says, made with love. My wife put that because she knew that the sister that gave it to her made it with love. And that hits home. That's how it works. With this love, it's a real practical love. We're called to serve one another. You know, in 1 Peter 4.18, one of the things before we leave Amy Carmichael and this whole passage right here, notice again what it says, 1 Peter 4.8, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. 
And that's what happens when you love, huh? You actually forgive. That's part of loving. You know, one time someone came to Amy Carmichael and they wanted to kind of rehash something someone had done to her in the past. And I guess she had been wronged by someone. And so, you know, they asked her, do you remember when they did that to you? I can't believe it. And Amy Carmichael responded by saying, that's funny. I distinctly remember forgetting that. (laughs) And I just thought to myself, here is a woman who knows what love is. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. I'll tell you what, forgiveness is one of the greatest challenges in life. Uh, we need to really you know, cultivate that and pray for one another when it comes to forgiveness. And I, and I will say this, it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're going to always live side by side with, with everyone. Uh, there are those times when there must be healthy boundaries between you and someone else who you feel might hurt you or your family or the flock. I mean, that's the way life is. They're not really good for you or others. But even in that, we still need to search our hearts and make sure that love is there, that there's no bitterness, that there's no forgiveness, unforgiveness. Because, you know, we need to really be honestly be able to say, I want the best for them. You know, sometimes I wonder, they, they don't want the best for me, huh? They want me to fail, huh? Well, that's between them and the Lord, but my heart is, I want the best for you. That's got to be our heart. There's got to be that forgiveness and so in looking at this we see number one the simplicity of it number two the nature of it number three the 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 logic of it Uh, if you want to go a little bit more to the right look at first john at chapter four first john four in verse seven it says beloved let us love one another for love is of god and everyone who is loves is born of god and knows God. You know, if we're saved, if we're children of God, it's in our DNA, huh? It's in our DNA. You know, God's love should be in our hearts. And that's why we're called to love one another, because love comes from Him. And notice what it says right there, and most of the people who love are born of God. No, it doesn't say that. It says everyone everyone, todos, I mean, we're talking about everybody, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. First John 4, 11, right here, same chapter, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I mean, this is the logic of it. This is the logic of it. You are loved by God. Why, why would you not reciprocate that love? Why would you not extend that love? It's in your DNA. You're a child of God. You're, you're born of Him, right? I mean, to me, it's pretty simple. As Pastor Erwin Lutzer said, for God so loved the world, go thou and do likewise. That's all. If God's loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know, look at the next verse here, 1 John 4 and verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. 
But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. And to me, that's really cool because, um, you know, no one's here necessarily seen God with our eyes per se. But when you see someone loving with God's love, it's almost like you are a visible representation of God. I know God's real. I know God's real because of the way that he has loved me through his people. And I've seen God's hand and I've seen God's eyes and I have heard his heartbeat because of the way that he has loved me through his people. In so many ways, I think of my pastor. I think of so many ways where God has loved me through people. And that's what you know, should be going on. I mean, no one's seen God at any time, but I'm telling you what, man, if we love one another, then God's in us and people are going to see God. And basically, this is how we can measure whether or not we have his love, is how we love his people. You know, I read the story about him in a boiler room. It's impossible to look into the boiler to see how much water it contains. I guess you can't look into it. But they say running up beside it is a tiny glass tube that serves as a gauge. And so as the water stands in the little tube, so it stands in the great boiler. And so how do you know you love God? Well, you think you love him, but you want to know how. And the answer is by looking at the gauge of how you love your brothers. This is important. I, I think we need to meditate on the simplicity of it, but then understanding the nature of it and the logic of it. I mean, you can't really say you know the Lord if you don't have any fruit. You know, one time I put this post on Facebook because I was just trying to be controversial. You know? <laughs> Stir up dialogue, you know. And every once in a while, I'll put a little something up there that I really don't even know that goes beyond my depths of understanding. But I heard someone say, you love God as much as the person in your life that you love the least. And I thought, whoa, that's heavy. So I put it up there, and people started biting each other and going back and forth and stuff, right? <laughs> And, uh, you know, I mean, I know it's a hard thing, but you guys know the bottom line is if you love someone who loves you, ain't no thing but a chicken wing, right? That's no big deal. Oh, they have good taste. Yeah, I like them. <laughs> but when you start loving people who maybe are a little bit more difficult, we go back to that tough love. Now we're talking about agape love. We're talking about divine love. We're talking about one last thing for today the power of love. We see the simplicity of it, the nature of it, the logic of it, and then the power of it. If you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I like this uh, verse. And again, there's 81 verses. I thought about going over all of them, but I thought it might take too long. But... First Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. 
See, everything falls under that, that love commandment, to love one another. And when you really love one another, you're loving others, you're going to edify them. God's going to use you to make them stronger. God's going to use you to build them up. That's the power of love. It's say, they say that love cures people, both the ones who receive it and the ones who give it. That's what happens. When you love someone, you know, you're going to build them up. But, but I, I, I just got to close with this, and I don't mean to close on a downer, but you guys got to be careful. We have to be so careful because a lot of times we do things that are antithetical to the power of love. And rather than building someone up, you know what happens is we start tearing others down. Uh, for example, here's a passage in James chapter 4, verse 11. It says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. You know, and when was the last time, you know, a lot of times you hear people saying derogatory things of others. Let me tell you something, man. That is the antithesis of love. If you got something against your brother, do not say anything bad about him to anyone else. You go to the Lord, you pray, and then you go to your brother. Go to him. Because you know what you're doing when you do that? You, my friend, are planting seeds of discord and division. And they, you know, just a little something. Oh, I'm just going to say this about, you know, so-and-so. And you just kind of put that little thing right there. But it's a seed that goes into the heart that is then planted. And then, you know, they start thinking about, you know, kind of, and then it grows. You know, I was looking at all the one another statements. This one's a lot. James chapter 5, verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren. Grumbling, complaining, I can't believe, you know how grumbling sounds, right? Galatians 5, verse 15, it says, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You know, and we're not talking Mike Tyson here. We're not talking about physical biting, right? We're talking about, you know, when you're talking about someone and, he says, you know, it's like Christian cannibalism. Be careful. You know, if I could say one thing that will mess up a church quicker than anything else, it's that. Gossip, slander, backbiting, men and women who don't know how to nail their tongues to the cross. James chapter 3 says, your problem is that you are immature. Even though you think you're all that, you're not. You want to know how we know it? Because of the way you talk. See, what we need to do, and I told you, I didn't want to end on a downer. I'm so sorry, but you know, we got to know these things, man, is, you know, let's love each other, you guys. Uh, let's pray for each other. Let's know that in all reality, it, it really isn't about you. It's not really about me. I mean, they say that when, you, when you're living life and it's all about yourself, you know what they say? They say that you're living on the doorsteps of hell. When you're living life, however, and it's all about others, and there's one passage that says giving preference to, to one another, esteeming others better than yourself. You don't got to be top dog. You know, go for it, you know. The Lord is the one who raises up and takes down. It's the Lord. So when you start having that mentality, we become an others-oriented church, 
God's going to bless. You know, there was a while back, how many of you guys have heard of that guy, Gail Irwin? Just out of curiosity, Gail Irwin. He's really cool. If you get a chance, maybe go online and watch a few of his studies or parables, stories. But he was going around the, the country, really, just talking about the whole concept of others. As a matter of fact, I have uh, bumper stickers in my garage, and, and it just says others. And you're like, why, did, why is it in your garage? Because I need to remind myself, you know. It's about others. And so anyways, you know, one time he was at a conference with Pastor Chuck Smith, and they were, they were both uh, speaking on the concept of others. And, uh, and then when he told Pastor Chuck that he was going to be talking about others, he said that Pastor Chuck just got this big smile on his face. And then he, right there, in that, just in that moment, he launched into a poem that he had memorized. And this is what Pastor Chuck said. It said this. He said, Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the things I do to ever be sincerely true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me live for others that I might live for thee. And that's what it's all about, you guys. One another. Loving one another. Do you think that the, the Lord will bless this church if we all caught that vision? You know, if we all gave each other a holy hug? Right? Greeting each other, one another, and we, no one trampled one another. No one spoke bad about it. No, no more, no more. Lord, if I have anything to say, I'm going to say it to you. Yeah, but this person's way out there. Doesn't make it right. Imagine what God would do. And one last story. I was reading a story about a little boy. And I guess it was a little boy who lived in Chicago and attended a Sunday school. And apparently what happened was his uh, parents, they moved from one part of the city to another part. But the little boy, he still attended the same Sunday school, although it meant uh, a long and tiresome walk both ways. And so a friend asked him why he went so far, and he told him that, you know, there's a lot of other good churches that are closer to home. And, and he said, well, they may be good for others, he said, but not for me. And they asked him, well, why not? And the little boy said, because they love a little guy over there. And I always tell people, you know, because sometimes people will be looking for a church and stuff. And I always just tell them, you know what, find a church where, where they will love you. You know, teach you the Bible. That's all you gotta, that's all you gotta look for, man. And you'll know that, that there's gonna be a home there. And that's where we need to be as well, you guys. That's my prayer. And it, it's got to come from me. It's got to come from you. And as, as you grow in the Lord, as you know, you just, man, it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And you're growing in your relationship with Him. You watch how you will change and you will have that love for others. You know, if only we could make the world understand the love that God has for them through the love that we demonstrate. 
If we did, there would be fewer empty churches and a smaller proportion of our population would then, you know, not say, I'm not going to be going to church service anymore. Let love replace duty in our church relations. And what will happen is the whole world will then eventually be evangelized. So let me close with a couple of prayers here. First Thessalonians 3.12 And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. In 1 Corinthians 16.14 It says, let all that you do be done with love.